Well, it's been, uh, it's been a joy and a privilege uh, for me and uh, for middle school week of Canal Lake Bible Camp, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, camp to have Matt Zawada with us. This will be his third year speaking uh, at the middle school camp. And uh, well, he just connects really well with the middle school campers. And, uh, and I think he's relevant for all of us as well. And um, I've, uh, Sarah and I have enjoyed getting to know him and his wife, Deborah. And uh, of course, Deborah is not able to be with him uh, this year here at camp, but we've got Matt with us, and uh, he's going to be bringing us the word this morning. So why don't you welcome with me Matt Zawada. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, hard to believe it's my third year here, which is crazy. Um, I've loved being here every single time. Except for one time, but I don't want to talk about it. So uh, just always walk away feeling encouraged, feeling like the Lord's just challenging me to, to walk closer with him. Um, you know, I've, as part of my job with the organization I'm a part of, I've just been a part of a lot of churches. And I always walk away from Blairsville feeling like the church is alive. You know, that makes any sense. I think that's just, man, it's a testament to the Lord and his power. It's working in all of us. So yeah, again, my name is Matt. Uh, these is my amazing family. That's my wife, Deborah, on the left, and those are the two most beautiful children ever created. Um, I know you guys have kids, no offense, but I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty amazing. Uh, that's Finn on the left, and that's Sirsha on the right. Finn is three, uh, Sirsha is a year and a half, and I really like this photo because this is like your Instagram photo. This is like we're a perfect family photo, and the next photo is like uh, the reality photo, you know? <laughs> Uh, I'm like totally not a sentimental guy, really. And as soon as I pulled out the driveway, I just missed my whole family, you know, which is like, kids kind of broke me, I guess, if you want to put it that way. I used to be like, whatever. And now I'm like, I feel this thing called emotion, you know, as a guy, usually just suppress that, you know, and never worry about it. But uh, yeah, so Sirsha is the dazed sheep. Um, Finn is the crying lion. And I love this story because it like, represents like, totally their personalities too. Finn is definitely more like, sensitive a lot of the times. Um, he's just beginning to talk, and it's great to watch him like, connecting. We're talking about obedience and disobedience and kind of connecting what he's learning. And the other day, he, uh, he disobeyed, and I, we were talking about it. And I was like, Finn, why did you disobey? And he said, because my heart's broken. And I said, yeah, you're right. And daddy's is too. Um, so it's just great seeing him connect some of these dots, just teaching him about the Lord. And Sirsha is like totally different from Finn. You know, Finn's sensitive. And Sirsha, she can like smell fear, you know? She's like, she's not scared of anything. The other day, she's like smacking Finn on the face and she turns around and she just looks at me. She's like, what are you gonna do about it, dad, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so they're great. Uh, it's totally an honor and privilege to be a husband. The Lord has been teaching me an absolute ton. Um, and just learning about my failures and where I need to step up and be the leader that my family needs. Um, yeah, my wife and I are on staff right now at a uh, school called Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. Um, it's a two-year Bible training program uh, that some of your uh, students have been through. It's been great having them. It's great having Tom right now at the school. 
Uh, it's the first phase of missionary training with our organization, Ethnos 360, um, and we plant churches among unreached people groups. So people groups that don't have access to the Bible, access to God's word, maybe haven't even heard the name of Jesus before. We want to plant churches among those people groups and see a thriving, mature, indigenous church built in that people group. That's what my wife and I want to do with our lives. We want to see God's word spread to where it's never been before, and we just love the organization we're a part of and have loved being a part of it. Um, like I said before, it's my third year being here, and one thing I, w- I want to talk about happened last year is I just finished speaking on Sunday, and the next day, somebody came up to me, and they were saying, hey, we pr- appreciated your sermon on Sunday. I was like, oh, great, thanks. And then he said, he was like, but you just talk so fast, you know, and he said, I can really tell you were a yank. And... I've never been called a yank before, and I didn't know what it meant, so I actually had to look it up, uh, the definition. <laughs> and this is, this is true, I googled this, and this is what came up, and I was like, okay, noun, a person who lives in or is from the U.S., that's fine, it says informal, I was like, cool, you know, like, it's like a fun term, and the second part of there says derogatory, and I was like, whoa, like, what is this, an insult, would I just get insulted by somebody from the south that I'm a yank, you know, and I'm not even from Michigan, I'm from, like, Arizona, are you still a Yankee from Arizona? I don't know what the rules are, okay? <laughs> yes, so, uh, I'm a yank, uh, apparently. And, yeah, I don't know why I just really wanted to tell that story, because it just made me laugh so much when I was searching it. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, apparently it's probably, you know, a term of respect from you Southerners, right? Uh, you know, like, wow, you're a real yank. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, all right. So I really wanted to talk today about something that's been challenging me for like, it feels like years now. So it's just been kind of lodged in the back of my brain and maybe it has to do with me having kids now and thinking a lot about life and kind of the, you know, what I want to leave behind, I guess. But um, this question's just been stuck with me and I want to throw up on the screen right now. Uh, it's this question. Will I be remembered? And... I think really, I think it was starting with Finn, when Finn was born. This, this question's just kind of been sitting there like for a couple of years. And I decided I want to talk about this because it's something the Lord has been challenging me with. You know, we've, we're, we've always, as humans, we've always been obsessed with this idea of remembrance. Um, you know, the pharaohs built pyramids, you know, monuments and, and tombs to their own honor, um, partly because they wanted to be remembered. They thought they deserved to be remembered. Uh, it's Alexander the Great, who lacked any creativity whatsoever, named over 70 cities after himself. He had his face engraved on coins. You know, he thought he was a big deal. Uh, Julius Caesar, he was a master of self-promotion. Uh, he had a whole you know, propaganda machine kind of centered around himself and, and the legacy, the, like the remembrance he would leave behind. In fact, he had a whole team of historians that he would take around with him on campaigns so they could write history as it was happening and he would approve of it. He didn't want to risk history being left beyond his time and a different narrative created than the one that he wanted. In fact, he only ever let one person uh, carve or make his image. Um, he had complete control over that process and they put it on coins. Um, you're probably wondering, Matt, if you happen to be a dictator, how would you want to be remembered? And that's a great question, right? You see, people always go the traditional route. They always want the statues or the pyramids. 
not me. I found a place here that I want to use to memorialize myself. It's called Zaxby's, um, and it is like the best place, you know, in memoriam of Matt Zawada. Something classy, you know, something that like, you know, would look good. Uh, this is how I want to be remembered. You know, Alexander the Great put his face on coins. I put my face on the Zaxby's bird or something. I don't know. I haven't thought much about it, okay? I don't know how it would work. Um, Listen, we have halls of fame for every sport, you know. If you're great at putting a ball in a hoop or putting a puck in a net or driving a car really fast, we have these, like, essentially museums to, like, memorialize these people who are really good at doing sports. You know, we memorialize people wrongly sometimes because of our own egos or want to be remembered for our own egos, but we also rightly remember people. You know, like, um, man, my, uh, I never met him, but my, my wife's father, his name was James. He and his, uh, he and his wife, James and Lisa, both served in Papua New Guinea for like 25 years. Man, just consistent servants of the Lord. And you know what? His family, they always talk about him. Always. Because he left such a great impression upon them as a family. He led them with humility. He led them and always pointed them towards Christ. Man, they rightly remember James. And are all, it's to me, he's always on their minds. We also rightly remember the people that were important to us. Uh, growing up, we had this, I went to this uh, summer camp in California, and they had these, like, you know, names engraved on the sidewalk. All the people that had helped, you know, pay for the school. Um, and you guys have those here. You have names on the side of pews, and you've got, uh, you have names, like, in your main building for who helped, you know, to build this. There's actually... I saw a name of the, of the person who helped to build the missionary house that I'm staying in right now. And as right it is to remember those we love, and sometimes how, how egotistical we can be to be so focused on our own remembrance, um, just, as incur- just as we are enamored with the idea of being remembered, so also the idea of potentially being forgotten is kind of terrifying, to me at least. I'll go to the next slide. Um, this is a, a tombstone located in the western corner of London's Highgate Cemetery. Uh, it's a life-size dog, uh, the owner's dog. Um, life-size sculpture, and you know, it's ivy creeping up the sides now. It's been there for a long time. It was the winter of 1965, and a nobody who had began his career as an illiterate bricklayer had risen to become the most celebrated sportsman of the Victorian era. He was England's first bare-knuckle fighting champion. His final match, which was fought largely one-handed in a Hampshire field, was watched by thousands. They had special trains just to charter in all the spectators for this final match of his. Um, There were other Victorian superstars there, like novelist Charles Dickens and the Prime Minister, Lord Palmerston, even Parliament. Parliament shortened their hours so that everybody could go watch this fight. And the Queen, Queen Victoria asked to be informed of the result. Uh, when he died a few years later, his funeral procession stretched for almost two miles. Some 100,000 people showed up to say goodbye to this boxer. The cemetery descended into chaos as people climbed trees and trampled tombstones hoping for a better year, a better view. It's been about 150 years since he was buried. 
And you know what? His reputation is turned to dust. Unless you're a hardcore boxing historian, you have no idea who I'm talking about. To all of us, he would need an introduction. And I could tell you his name, but does it really matter? I mean, we've never known who he was up until this point. He makes no significant impact on our lives. Does it matter who he was? The slow inching of time has all but wiped his memory from this earth, and it will continue to do so until it's lost, even from the history books. And this is the verse I wanted to get to. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their glory is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. First Peter chapter 1. Let's be honest, it's kind of like an offensive passage, you know? And I know like, it, like we read it and maybe we don't think about the implications of it because it's talking about like flowers and grass that makes us like feel good on the inside or something. You go to the next slide if you want to. Like this is how we, uh, we read it like this and you can put this on like your wallpaper on your desktop computer or something and like look at it and like feel good. But this is really what he's saying, ready? This is what he's saying. You and all you've done will one day fade into earthly obscurity. Thanks, Peter. You know, real encouraging, dude. I didn't say it, okay? Peter said this. It's not my fault. Um, He's quoting a verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8, and the sentiment is also repeated in Psalms 103. It says this, As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower in the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place remembers it no more. So here's what he's saying, ready? This is what this verse is saying. Man, if you've earned some trophies in your life, polish them now, okay? Now is the time, all right? Don't wait. Or if you want to put it this way, he's saying, that, man, my skin and bones, it's a rental. The grass withers and the flower fades. You know, I'm 29 now, so I'm just starting to feel a little bit wilty, I guess. <laughs> I'm on the verge of 30, right? I'm almost old. Just kidding. No, uh, I got plenty of you know, years ahead of me. What got me thinking about all this was uh, a couple years ago, I was, I was sitting down kind of thinking about you know, my ancestry. And three of my four grandparents had passed away before I was born. I never met them. Um, uh, and... I was sitting there thinking, not only had I never met them, I, didn't, I couldn't recall their names. Three of my four grandparents. I had one grandparent, um, and uh, for some reason, I never understood why, but she hated my mom, and we were just never close with her. Like, she just wasn't ever really around. Um, she just passed away a few years ago. You know, my son and daughter, they'll never know them. They will never know his great-grandma, uh, or, any, or either great-grandmas or either great-grandfathers. You know, I, I maybe have 50 good years ahead of me. And when I move on into eternity, in another 70 years, probably everyone who ever knew me will be gone from here. I'd say easily, I'm like 150 to 200 years from being completely forgotten. 
the writer of Ecclesiastes, um, which is known for being a blunt book, uh, puts it this way. Go to the slide for me. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So I'm sitting there kind of just pondering this question. And will I be remembered? I mean, how many people, how many of these commoners can we recall from the fifth or sixth or, you know, whatever centuries? We don't know anybody. I'm sitting there just thinking about this, and I just felt like, man, will I be remembered? It's just a bad question. I think it's the wrong question to ask. Listen, 99.99% of the world doesn't even know I exist. Listen, will the world remember Matsuwada? No, <laughs> like, no, not at all, probably. So what is the right question? If it's not, will I be remembered? What question should we ask ourselves? So I'm gonna go back. I wanna uh, sit here in First Peter just for a minute. I wanna read the broader context here really quick. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from, the, from your heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that's preached to you. Like, this is totally like, when it, what Peter's talking about here is not like some downer. Like he's not, he's not saying anything that his audience probably doesn't know already. He's actually writing to encourage them. He's writing to the displaced people, um, displaced believers who are suffering great persecution. And he's writing to encourage them to look ahead to the future, to look ahead to the life to come and remind them that we have been born again, not of something that will fade, but of something that will last forever. And that's what he's writing to encourage his audience over. Man, the power of the gospel lives in us. And the power of the gospel is never, ever, ever going to fade. People are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. You know, it can be an intimidating thing for me. Um, but you know what? One thing I realized, it gets really intimidating for me when I'm living for my own glory. Because here's what it's telling me. If I'm living for my own glory, then my reward is now. Man, if we're just living for our own glory, this is it. If you're doing work unto yourself, this can be intimidating, but if you're living and working as unto the Lord, man, we shouldn't even bat an eye to this. The world may forget us, but you know what? The world is going to be done away with anyway. If we should choose to live for our own glory, then our reward is now, and our reward is temporary. But the glory of God is eternal and unfading. You know, in the earthly perspective, what gets noticed is important. But from a biblical perspective, 
what glorifies God is important. And all of a sudden, even our most small, seemingly insignificant decisions carry this overwhelming purpose and worth and meaning. And overwhelmingly so. So this question, uh, will I be remembered? Uh, I've, got, I've got the answer for you. Will Madzawada be remembered in 200 years? Man, who cares? I'm not here burning away my years so that somebody would remember me. I'm not here spending my time for my own legacy. I think this is a better question. Does my life glorify the name of Jesus? And that is a good question. Um, there's this great uh, verse in Colossians 3. It says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it to be remembered. No, that's not how it goes at all. <laughs> Go over one more. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it this way. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Man, do it to the glory of God. I think it's a much more compelling question in my mind because it doesn't care who gets the credit. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about me getting noticed or me being remembered or me being forgotten or whatever. It only cares about this. Ready? That question. Um, oh, man, I'm just facing... Um, do my choices glorify the name of Jesus? That question, it cares about this, whether my heart, mind, and actions are aligned with the person of Christ. Man. Is that my perspective? Um, there's this great moment when uh, Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10, and the 72 return with joy and say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus always says the thing you're thinking he's not going to say. He like never goes in line with what's happening, it feels like. Like, come on, Jesus, you're supposed to say, like, hurrah, and, you know, go get him, or grab, I don't know, whatever. But this is what he says. He says, nevertheless, sure, you're excited, but nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Will Matsuwata be remembered in this world? No but I'm not going to be forgotten. Man, you know what? I've got some bad news for us. Uh, a fading world will probably forget about us. But the gospel has some very good news. As believers, our names are written in the book of life, which is unfading and unchanging. You know what's better than being remembered? It's being known. 
And the promise of the gospel isn't that we're going to be remembered here on earth, but is that God will know us, that we'll have relations with him forever. Um, I'd rather be known by God than be remembered by a fading world. If the world's going to fade away, then what business do we have caring about what people think about us or even remember us when we're gone? The promise of the gospel has nothing to do with whether the world will hold my name in honor or remember it, but instead that all of our choices, man, even the smallest one behind closed doors, man, carries value. You know, we're going to be remembered by the people who love us. You know, my, my whole extended family, man, they will never, ever forget James. He will, he will continue to be a part of their lives for the rest of their lives. But you know what's even better than them remembering James? Is the fact that they're going to go and see him again one day. That they don't have to remember James forever. That they'll see him again. That's the promise of the gospel, is that we get to be reunited with the people we love, fellow believers. Man, there's something better for us, and it's just over the horizon. Man, the world will forget Matsuwata. That's okay. I was running through the sermon prep and the song came on the radio and it was like, oh, this is what I'm trying to communicate. And so I just want to read it to you guys because I think it's so good. It's by Casting Crowns. I don't usually listen to them very much, but man, it just hit me hard. Hit me hard, ready? Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart. Above all else, make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams I got lost in the light when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really mattered did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. You know, my life, my life doesn't have significance because of what is or isn't written down in a history book. My life is significant because the creator of the universe has said, man, I want to know you, that you are my creation. I'll never be forgotten because the name, my name is written in the book of life and my king, who never forgets, knows my name. Man, can, can we even compare the two? A fading world to the internal kingdom of God. Man, you can't even compare it. It's not worth the time. Uh, you know, when Jesus first arrives on the scene, he, cr- he creates a stir as he begins his ministry. And you know what he was to the other religious leaders there? Man, he was a threat. Jesus was a threat because Jesus was popular. 
People were following him and not following or not listening to other religious leaders. It was a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees who looked at Jesus and said, man, this guy is going to take away our influence. And they hated him for it. They eventually murdered him over it. Because Jesus, his name was becoming greater than theirs. And I think it's so interesting because there was another religious leader in the area who responded very differently. His name was John the Baptist. You know, his, there's a story about one of the disciples coming to, John the Baptist's disciples coming to him and being very concerned. Like, John, John the Baptist, I'm not sure if they called him that or not. Uh, listen, dude, we have a problem. People are following Jesus and going to him to get baptized and not coming our way anymore. And John's response is like, frighteningly, frighteningly humble. It's like scary. He says this. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. My everyday actions, man, they have purpose, not because of what or what isn't remembered, but because God has given me purpose as I seek him and to seek to make him known. Uh, that boxer I told you about, his name is Thomas Sawyers. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about Thomas. I don't know, you know, his boxing stats or what he liked or didn't like or what annoyed him or what his dreams or aspirations were or what he was looking for in boxing or if he felt satisfied at the end of his life. I don't know anything about Thomas. All I know is this, and Jesus loved him. And above all else, Jesus desperately wanted a friendship with Thomas. So where does all this leave us? This is my bottom line. I only have one point to this, all right? You can write it down if you want to or not, whatever you want to do. Bottom line is this, man, man, make my life about the name of Jesus. You know, I was sitting here thinking like, because I, I do, a, I teach every once in a while and I always think, man, if I did it anonymously, would I still enjoy it? If like, if nobody, if people, if y'all came up to me afterwards and said, Matt, that was terrible. Like, if I got no, like, credit at all, and you guys were like, this is the worst, you know? If there was, if, like, you know, there wasn't any glory thrown my way, would I still want to do what I do? Like, man, I just think sometimes, like, imagine how impactful the kingdom of God could be if nobody cared about getting credit. There's this really, my, one of my pastors growing up, this guy was just, uh, phenomenal. And one thing he said that always has stuck with me, you know, after like however many years now, 10, 15, he sat down with me one day and he was just talking about how he makes sure there's always some kind of ministry he does that nobody else knows about. Because it's so easy standing up here on the pulpit or something to make it about like yourself. Man, did I, did I kill that sermon today or whatever? That man just always stuck with me because he was saying is this, man, never forget that any kind of ministry that we do, and it's not about us. It's about God's name being glorified, about his name being lifted up.
man, my name won't be remembered. In 200 years, they'll have forgotten all about me. But I'm here not because I want the world to remember me, because I want the world to know Jesus and to have a relationship with him, to walk with him. And what an opportunity we have to live a life that's not about ourselves, but it's about God and his kingdom. And I'll tell you what, I think the more God continues to move my heart that way, the more I've found peace and satisfaction. I was listening to a pastor the other day who was talking about the whole idea of like, you know, come to me, those who are, are heavy and weary laden. And he's talking about ministers. He's talking about how, you know, the best way to cast, you know, your concerns is to not worry about, you know, what your reward is going to be or, or your credit. If you want the glory for it, then you have to wear the burdens. But if you don't care about the glory, if you want the glory to go to, to Jesus, man, he can bear all that burden for you. Bottom line is just this, man, may we all make our lives about the name of Jesus, for he is worth it above all else, man, above anything else, man, Jesus is worth it. All right, let's pray. Um, God, thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you that we have a, uh, a life that carries value and worth because you know, Lord, you know us. You will never forget us. Um, I thank you so much that you are God who is just incredibly faithful to us. Even when we stumble, even when we make things about ourselves, Lord, um, man, you are with us. And I pray that you continue to shift our thinking to you and your name and your glory, for your name is the only name to remember. Thank you for today, and we pray all this, and amen.